Well, I see that we've run quite a bit of time, so um, I will try to be brief with you guys this morning because I know uh, you want to uh, need to get out. But uh, um, happy Father's Day again. Have you seen that and heard that many times today uh, to our fathers? Also want to say, mention to our single moms, uh, happy Father's Day to you as well. You play a double role and some of you have been forced into that role and we love you and appreciate you for doing what you do when uh, um, dads aren't there to do it. Uh, did you know that Father's Day is not n- that's na- nationally celebrated as much as Mother's Day? It, it may not be a surprise to you, but one of the things I, I heard uh, one time they said is that on Mother's Day, the most long-distance phone calls are made. Are people calling their moms to wish them a, a happy Mother's Day? On Father's Day, they say that, that those are the most collect calls that are made. Um, <laughs> we we love our dads, but we're just not going to pay to tell them, it, right? You know, so. Um, but for me, I got my Father's Day gift a week early. Um, last week, I got to baptize my two oldest kids. How many of you were at Deep Creek last week to see that? It was awesome. Um, and let me just say this real quick. As your pastor, if you skipped out on last week, shame on you. Shame on you. I, if you could have been here but chose not to come last week, shame on you. And I, seriously, I, if you want to skip a Sunday here, that's fine. We don't take attendance. But don't skip Baptism Sunday. Skip Easter or Christmas. You've heard the story before, right? You know, we could use the seats and the parking spaces on those days. But last week, and I'm being honest, last week was something special if you were there. We saw seven people who have committed their lives to follow Jesus publicly confess it in front of family and friends in this community. And it was, it was an important, and you cannot tell me what you did last Sunday was more important than that. So if you feel guilty, I've done my job. So... But as a father, there isn't much more I could have asked for than that. But I went ahead and I asked for more. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm going to get anything. We'll see when we get home. But uh, there's not, no, 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 no. Um, but there's this thing when it comes to Father's Day gifts. That's something about sale ads that just really don't make sense to me, right? On Mother's Day, you get buy some jewelry from her or maybe some flowers or, or chocolate or maybe spend time together. Uh, maybe you offer to be with the kids so she can go out. But on Father's Day, it's... There's, there's sales on yard tools, right? You know, it's like, here's a new lawnmower, dad. Here's a weed trimmer. A, a few years ago, a few years ago, I got a backpack blower, right? It's like, hey, dad, we love you. Now go mow the lawn, right? It's, it's, it's sort of this double standard though. You know, you can imagine the outcome of buying your wife a vacuum on Mother's Day, right? You know, uh, I was, I was visiting, I was visiting my, my, my parents a, a few weeks back and, uh, um, my, my, my wife, hates the dog hair on the floor and my mom found this vacuum that's really great then she's like you should take this home and give this to jody i'm like you give it to jody i'm not giving her a vacuum right and so we we, we made this plan and i got home and i said look what i got the kids i got a new vacuum for the kids you know and so um but it's great so but it's kind of it's kind of ironic though right the, the whole yard tools for father's day because the reason I had kids was so that I didn't have to mow the lawn anymore, right? And so why, why do I want these gifts for fathers? To give them to my kids, right? But these days, if it doesn't have a touch screen, my kids, they don't know how to use it. Anyone have a kid like that? Needs a touch screen, right? Yeah, right? It's summer. We're trying to get the kids uh, to not just sleep and, and watch the day away. And so as dads, we have this, and you know it, dads, we have this empty threat strategy like we often like to go to. Like, you know, and it's important to make threats to get your kids to do something you want them to do. Um, So we're like, hey, if you don't get off that iPhone, I'm going to blank. Or if you don't put that iPad down, you will never fill in the blank, right? Anybody remember those threats from from mom and dad, you know, right? That, that, 
And you know that they never, they never made uh, happen. Here's, I, I love my wife. She is an awesome mother. My kids, my kids would never bathe and they would only eat cereal if it wasn't for her. But it's like the funniest thing in the world to listen to her count to three with, with my kids, right? It's like one, two, I swear, I swear, one, two. If you don't, one, two. And I'm like, from the other room, it's three. You're looking for three, you know, and it's, she doesn't find it as funny as I find it, whatever. But so we have empty threats as parents. Real quick, just for a moment, because we're running by. Um, what is something that your dad or mom used to threaten you with, but never went through with it? You know, you know those, those times where they would say, if I'm going to do this, if you don't do this, you know, what are those empty threats you got? Or maybe it's something now as a parent, you say to your kids that you really don't follow through. Take a minute real quick, talk about it, and then we'll come back. Just two minutes, go. So a uh, roller coaster of uh, emotions this last week for me went through this joy and this happiness, getting to witness the moment um, that my kids can look back at for the rest of their lives, where they publicly acknowledge their belonging to God as beloved sons and daughters of God. But then just a few hours later, a new waves of emotions hit me as I read about the shooting in a gay nightclub in Orlando, and my heart broke. What are we supposed to do now? How do we respond as people who are supposed to be known to love others. There are few places that we can turn to in moments like this. And for me, the story of God's love for me, the story of a father who loved his son and who in turn loved us is where I like to go. See, growing up, I didn't like to be, uh, and I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't know my biological father and my stepfather, I believe, hated me. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that I can't remember one single time my dad ever telling me he loved me. And one would think that the last thing I'd want to do is become a father. Like, what about that broken relationship would ever motivate me to become a dad or want to have kids? But for some reason, I couldn't wait to have my own kids. I couldn't wait to tell my son that I loved him and that I was proud of him. But now, hmm, allergies. Um, but now the, 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 the pendulum has swung, swung too far over. I think I, I, I say I love you to, to Ken all the time. He's like, I know, Dad, you tell me all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you it hurts. Uh, I'm going to tell you till it hurts because it hurts more not to hear it. You spoiled brat. Go in the basement, right? And so, and his bedroom's in the basement. So it's not like a torture, a torture. He just... But I want to read a part of the story of God where God is communicating his love to us almost to the point where it seems like he's over-communicating his love to us. So if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. I'm going to flip around for a few things, but let me read starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. 
And, he, uh, and we have uh, seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know that and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So let me recap. Verse 7, let us love one another. Verse 21, he has given us this command. There is no other conclusion that you and I could possibly come to after reading that passage other than to simply love one another. Love is mentioned 25 times in those short passages, if you were counting. But why so many words to tell, tell this one thing? Because I think that in this passage, John is trying to communicate not just what we're to do in this command, but the why behind it. Why should we simply love one another? Verse 7 through 9 says, uh, let me read it again. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 9. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his only, uh, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. When we love one another, it shows we are from God. We are of God. And verse 16. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in, in love lives in God and God in him. John is showing us that when we love others, it reveals to the world and to, and to those and to us that we are in relationship with God. That God is love. Love comes from God. If you love others, then you are of God and God is inside of you. And our ability to love others comes from God. And as we live in God, his spirit dwells inside of us. And it compels us into this action of loving others. And so this is not some Christian duty or an obligation of being a Christ follower. But this is who we are as Christ followers. This is our nature. When we love others, we are reminded that we belong to God. And the evidence of God living inside of you is revealed when you love others. And so this brings up the question, you know, do we really know what love is? It's a question foreigner has been asking since 84, right? What is love? Because I look at our culture and I, and I don't think we're working on the same definition here. So what is it? What is the nature of love? And I don't think there's a ton of solid answers out there. We think romantic love, you know, uh, how do we know it's love? Oh, you'll know it's love, right? Here are some definitions we find. A simple definition of love, a feeling of strong or constant affection for a person, attraction that includes sexual desire, the strong affection felt by people who have a remote, uh, romantic relationship, a person you love in a romantic way. A full definition of love is the strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Affection based on admiration, an assurance of affection, an attachment, enthusiasm, devotion, an object of attachment, devotion, admiration. It seems that when we define love, 
there always seems to be this mention of feeling or, or, or affection or maybe even passion. And for some reason, they like to use the word deep a lot, right? But those are great and true elements of love, yes. But I think a very shallow definition when you use feelings to define the way we love God and love others. Because when it comes to feelings, not too far after the happily ever after moment, where you're like, I think I made a mistake. I, I think I missed my true love, right? I don't feel love anymore. Do we really think that when we read scripture that Paul is referring to when he tells uh, husbands to love your wife like Christ loved the church, he's talking about feelings? And so what is love and where does it come from? Well, if you read this passage 20 times in this verse, is you hear the word God. John is telling us where love comes from and what it looks like. Again, verse Verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our model, our motivation for love each other, for loving each other is the gospel message that he sent his son to die for us. Verse 19. We love because he loved first. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love whom he has not seen. His love is our model and motivation. So we ought to love one another, it says. That God is love and our definition of love is lacking when it only involves feelings. In our series that we're going through in Matthew, Jesus just told us that the people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. I don't think Jesus was saying They will know you follow me because of the way you feel about each other, right? We're not marked by feelings, but actions. In verse 9, it says that God gave his son. Verse 14, he sent his son. Those are action words. Love needed to be made known. It needed to be revealed. So God sent Jesus. Affection plus action would equal love. What Jesus did on the cross for you and I did not hinge on feelings because we know Jesus three times asked for another way out. His love was not fueled by warm, fuzzy feelings for you and I, but his action carried him beyond his feelings. But I believe affection is necessary. If you look at the description in 1 Corinthians 13, you've you've heard it if you've been at a wedding. That description of love would be hard to fake that kind of love, right? If it was just, if there wasn't sort of this affection for this person or for this object of your love, right? It would be hard to do those things. Like if it was my Christian duty or just a rule, you know, it would be hard to love people that I don't agree with or people who don't believe like I believe. In our romantic relationships, affection is a huge part of that love. If I were to buy Jody flowers out of obligation, you know, like I bought them just to fulfill my duty as a husband. Oh, you love me. And I'm like, no, I guess it was just on my list of things I'm supposed to do for you. You know, it, it didn't come out of a real heart, right? I, I don't think she would accept them, right? If having affection is the issue for you, when it comes to loving people that you just can't love. If that, if, if, if whatever it is causes you not to, not to love whether the love for God or love for others, we need to ask God to help you feel, to have affection. We need to ask God to ignite a desire in your heart for others. And we ask him because he knows how to love because God is love. 
And honestly, it's really neat to see, see that love at the Grove on Sunday mornings. Some of you, you love kids, and so you serve in our kids program. Some of you have a heart for homeless people, so you come on Thursdays and you help serve dinner. Some of you, you love people, and so you step up and you lead our small groups. Some of you, you love worship, and so you love to lead us in worship. Some of you love people, and you're willing to come here early on Sunday mornings to set up the coffee bar and to create a welcoming atmosphere for others. And as your pastor, I want to say thank you for how you display your love. But that's not true for all of us. Some of us don't love kids, right? And so we don't serve in the kids program. It's, it's, it's always funny to ask dads to serve in the kids program. And they're like, I don't like kids. I, I'm not really good with kids. I'm like, dude, you're a father. You know I mean? You don't have a choice, you know? But sometimes to love others, actions are necessary to stir up our affections. Often our affections are directed by our actions, So when we participate in the action of loving others, the attitude of our heart begins to shape us. In Matthew 6, 21, it talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's often what you hear during a giving moment. But it's not just money. Where you put your energy and your time, those things will shape the attitude of your heart. And so when you participate in the action of loving others, you begin to create within yourself An affection for them. So let me give you an example. And this is how I want to sort of close. This week, many of you have had Orlando on your mind. And before last Sunday, when you thought of Orlando, you thought of family, Disney World, vacation, fun. But now we're forced to think about people who got a call in the middle of the night last Sunday. Or last Saturday night. to, To hear that their son or daughter had been murdered. We think about those who woke up and rushed to the hospital to be with loved ones and to to grieve with friends. And there is something about times of tragedy and times of suffering that form a bond or connection with others. There's this thing called human solidarity when we stand together. And my guess is not many of you were thinking about Orlando two weeks ago. But I bet all of you thought about Orlando this week. You see, human solidarity has this ability to take what we have in common as people and unite us together. It transcends all the labels and the categories that we can think of to keep us separated and divide us. And so I want to share something that we're hearing from the the LGBT community over the last few days in response to the outpouring of love from the Christian community. Let me read this blog to you real quick. Because I want to articulate something I've been hearing from my LGBT friends as they've been processing the responses of Christian leaders over the last 24 hours. Many of these leaders have publicly grieved the massacre and called for Christians to simply love the LGBT community in this hour of need, which is good. That's the right thing to do. But what I'm hearing from my Christian LGBT friends in particular is that these calls to grieve and love ring a bit hollow when coming from pastors and church leaders who have never spoken out about hate and violence directed against LGBT before today or have spent years perpetuating the very misinformation, stereotypes, and theology that hurt LGBT people every day. At first blush, this might seem harsh, but I think I get it. For years and years, LGBT have been suffering from disproportionately high suicide, suicide and homelessness rates 
made worse by religious leaders who stigmatize same-sex orientation and non-binary gender identities and encourage parents to disassociate with their LGBT kids. From laws at home that protect the right to discriminate against LGBT people and laws abroad that lead to the imprisonment and murder. From incessant bullying that often is accepted when done from a pulpit by a preacher who is a little rough around the edges. From ministries devoted to reparative therapy shown to do more harm than good. And from national freakouts over bathroom policies that appeal to fear and misinformation to demonize a small minority. If you wanted to love the LGBT community by weeping with those who weep, there have been plenty of opportunities to do this before Sunday. One Christian leader who last week said that those who support LGBT justice and inclusion are cowardly tweeted that Christians should be the first in line to donate blood for Orlando victims. And he's right about that. But Christians should also be first in line to protest the antiquated and prejudicial guidelines that forbid gay and bisexual men from donating blood themselves. Another pastor, hours after the shooting, tweeted that the importance of loving your LGBT neighbor as yourself. But the same pastor wrote a piece in 2013 encouraging Christians to indulge their gag reflex in response to gay people. One can understand how his words might seem insincere. I'm a big believer in grace, and I hope this post doesn't stray from it. My prayer is that for those congregations lagging behind this week's marks, the beginning of more consistent love and concern for their LGBT neighbors, many of whom themselves are Christians, of course, just understand why some LGBT folks don't fall over themselves with gratitude when a Christian leader who has constantly demeaned and ostracized them suddenly calls for empathy. There was a body count before Sunday. I started off by saying that I had a roller coaster of a week emotionally. I went through this gambit of emotions from hurt to anger. So I'm just, I'm tired of it. To empathy, to, to, to rage, to, to silence, having no words to express what I was feeling. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ or, or a human being at all, things like this should cause you to weep. Things like this should cause you to, to grow tired. Things like this should cause anger to rise up within you and you should feel empathy for others. If that describes you, then you are, you are responding how healthy human beings respond when evil like this takes place. And that's what it is. It's evil. We don't like to offend these days in the church or anywhere. And so we try to stay words from strong words like evil. But you know what? Sometimes it's necessary to name it. The ancient wisdom, it, it says to unjustly kill someone is to sin against all of humanity. And that's what happened last weekend. It was a sin against all of us. And we should be angry. And we should be hurt. Pure evil was unleashed. And something within each of us says, this is not right. Something within each of us should say that enough is enough. And you know what that is? That's the image of God inside of you. God is that feeling inside of all of us. When we know that this is not how it's supposed to be. That the presence within us that says things are not the way it's supposed to be. In the book of Ecclesiastes it says that eternity is written on the hearts. And that when we see things going on like this that are out of order, we know that this is not how it's supposed to be. 
In Genesis, we know that all of mankind, all of mankind was created in the image of God. In the New Testament, it says that Jesus was calling us the children of God. He says the kingdom is within you. And so when we acknowledge that, that which is what, what is out of order, we become aware of the presence of God living inside of us. Evil does not make sense because it is out of order. This is not what God intended for us. Evil will never make sense. Something has to change. How many have to die? How many gay teens have to commit suicide before the church steps up and tells them that they are loved by God? In times like this, we begin to doubt humanity. We begin to start to ask questions. Is the darkness winning? Do we have anything to hope in? In these moments of tragedy, are are things getting worse? Are we going to be okay? How can something like this be redeemed by something greater? Are are their arms open wide enough to embrace this amount of pain? And I'm reminded of the cross and the arms of Christ spread open for all of humanity. And I'm reminded of that. That which sustains the sin of the world can overcome anything. That there is something greater than evil. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So in moments when we feel like we're losing, we're reminded that there is something bigger at work here. And how do we know? How do we know that God's moving? Because a week ago you weren't thinking about Orlando and today you are. And when we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, it brings out compassion and empathy and a desire for justice. Whether you believe in God or not, we stand together in this. You see, the church has been horrible at building bridges and being peacemakers with the LGBT community. We're supposed to be good news and light to the world. We need to get better at this, guys. Everything we do as a follower of Christ should be about proving that love works, regardless of what people believe. And whether you disagree with a belief system or a lifestyle or anything else of anyone else, our job is not to judge them, but to love them. Anything else, we come off looking like hypocrites. When the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Is it Leviticus 19? Jesus says, it's to love God. And to love your neighbor. Well, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you a story of this good Samaritan. There's this Jewish man who's been left dead for dead, beaten on the side of the road. And these Jewish Christians, these pastors, these priests come by and they refuse to, to, to touch him because they know that he looks like he's about to die. And if they touch something that's dead or, or close to die, they have to go back and they'll have to go through this process of sanctification again and, and washing. And it's just they don't have time for it. But then this Muslim comes along and he sees the Jew sitting there on the side of the road. And that Muslim gets down on his knees and he picks up that Jew and he puts him on a horse, takes him to a hotel, takes care of the the wounds, gives money for him and says, if you need anything more, I'll be back to help pay. And Jesus looks at this lawyer and says, well, which in that story is your neighbor? The guy says, well, it was the one who showed mercy. The Samaritan, who had a different belief system than the Jew. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? She says to Jesus, well, you Jews say you worship God on this mountain, but my people say we worship God on that mountain. 
We are to love people whether we agree with them or not. You see, the Samaritan showed mercy on the Jew. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The point of the story wasn't that you should go and help someone on the side of the road that's beaten. That wasn't the neighbor we're supposed to love. That was easy for the Jew to love the other Jew that was beaten. He's like me. The person you're supposed to love was the person that wasn't like you, that didn't believe like you, that didn't have the same faith you had. It's far easier to weep over a shocking massacre committed by a person claiming another faith than to weep over the millions of small cruelties committed by those in your own faith community. We can do better than this. When we see people that are not like us, that we don't agree with, we must see the image of God inside of them. And when we do, we're able to love them like Jesus loved us.
Let me read again 1 John. Verse 19. 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My prayer for our community is to have eyes of compassion, to have broken hearts, and to have actions that reflect the love of Christ. You see, hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. Are you indifferent to people who are gay? Does the news of 49 people being unjustly murdered not cause anger to well up inside of you? Do you not empathize with the loss of loved ones? Do you not feel the God inside of you when you know deep down that this is wrong? So here's what I need us to start doing today. We need to pray for our LGBT community. We need to pray for the Samaritan and the Muslim. We need to pray for people who have wronged us and for people we have wronged. We need to pray for our fathers, the good ones and the bad ones. We need to pray that we would all know the greatness of God. And then we go out and we serve them practically. We relate to them. We find where we have things in common. And see if that doesn't begin to move your heart towards them. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Affections compel us into action. But the same is true that our actions direct our affections. And if you're struggling with wisdom in this, imagine it was one of your sons or daughters in that club that night. And see if that doesn't move you. Now go and love God and love others. Thank you.